everyone. It's time for episode 18 of The Mental Game. This podcast can drive now. It's a legal adult. I was its guardian, but I guess the shackles have come loose. And now you're here for the adult edition of The Mental Game podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful week. I'm Sam Brief here in Chicago. So I've got a question for you. Do you meditate? If you do, you'll probably really vibe with my guest today. And if you don't, your behaviors might change. He might convince you to start meditating. And it's the director of meditation training with the University of Wisconsin Athletic Department, Chad McGeehee. His job title is one that only exists in his situation. As he put it, it's an N equals one. There's no one else in an athletic department who is a director of meditation. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, you know that there's mental skills coaches out there. We've talked to them. There's sports psychologists. We've talked to them. But in the sports world, there's only one director of meditation, and that's Chad McGeehee, my guest on The Mental Game today. Now, it was interesting timing for me personally to talk to Chad, not only because I actually grew up a big Badger fan. As I record this, I'm looking at the Bucky Badger bobblehead on my bookshelf across the room. But I just got into meditation. I've been using the Insight Timer app, and at first I was really closed-minded. I said, I'm not good at this, because I'd meditate, I'd close my eyes, and my mind would go all over the place. I'd think about work. I'd think about what's for dinner. I'd think about everything happening in the world right now. And I couldn't focus. But as Chad says, that doesn't matter. You can't be bad at meditation. Not letting your mind wander, it's like not letting your heart beat. It's like not letting your lungs breathe. It's what the mind does. So all that and a whole lot more big knowledge bomb coming from Chad McGeehee, the 18th guest on the Mental Game Podcast. Enjoy. Director of Meditation Training is not a title I've ever seen. So how did you get that title? Yeah, Sam, well, first, thanks for, for having me on the podcast and for, for the great work you're doing. Yeah, as far as I know, it's the first of its kind of position that, that exists in, in major sports. Uh, so the Wisconsin Athletics Department is really kind of at the front edge of, of what's happening in this space. So um, so my background is, is I've been a meditator for almost 20 years. I've trained with lots of different populations uh, law enforcement, educators, athletes uh, from the NFL level to the collegiate level. Um, and through those courses of experiences, it just made sense to, at this juncture, kind of collaborate with the athletic department and join in this unique capacity uh, to work with the experts at uh, the athletic department, the coaches, the staff, the student athletes to see what are the best ways we can use meditation training to support them. How many of you exist in the college athletics world and, and also professional? We can, we can expand. Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, it's an N of one at this point uh, that focuses just on meditation training. Of course, there's lots of crossover in the Venn diagram with clinical sports psychology, with mental mm -hmm. skills coaches. Uh, so there's intersecting areas. Uh, but the, to focus just exclusively on kind of mindfulness-based and, and meditation training, uh, I think this is the only position of its kind. So listeners of this podcast have listened to a few different 
of the first vein that you discussed, the, the sports psychologists, the mental skills coaches. So we've got an idea of what those people are doing with teams. What makes your work specifically different? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And it's one of the questions that is a question that we're still investigating the answer to. So I collaborate really closely with our clinical and sports psychology team because there is so much crossover there. Um, but one of the things that I think is, is foundationally different, there's a couple things actually. One, you know, I'm starting not from a place of uh, pathology. I'm not a clinician. I'm not providing a mental health intervention. Uh, I'm starting from a place almost like strength conditioning for the mind that kind of assumes that you're okay where you're at and then supports you to train your mind to take it even further. And I think in that space, there's some similarities with mental skills coaches. Uh, I'd say one of the big differences is uh, in meditation training, we prioritized uh, mindfulness. We prioritize what scientifically we would call meta-awareness, knowing what's going on in one own, one's own mind, what's going on in one's emotional body, what's going on in one's physical body, and training for those qualities so that we're not living out our lives in a place of automatic pilot, but instead we're present, fully open, aware of what's happening in our minds and bodies, and using that space as a game changer for how we train our minds and ultimately for how we perform. So I'm going to make a statement and I want you to correct me and steer me in the right direction if this is wrong. But I, I think for people who are new to mental health and this area, it's helpful to look at the physical body as a metaphor. So mindfulness is a buzzword. I, I hear mindfulness a lot, but I think I rarely stop to think what it actually means. And the way you just described it, it's okay with my physical body. If I wake up and my right leg really hurts. I notice that right away. I'm probably going to think about it all day and I'm probably going to do things throughout the day like icing, like rubbing it to try and make my right leg better. But with mindfulness, if we don't have mindfulness, there might be something going on in our mind, some struggle or even something positive that we just don't notice. And your job through meditation and this training is to get me a little more aware of what's going on. I'd say that that's part of it. And that's a really okay. important part of it. I think like what you're pointing to, Sam, there is kind of the self-awareness part of mindfulness and that capacity to be aware of what's happening in our own mind and body as it's happening. So kind of to your example of being aware of, uh, you know, your leg as it hurts, um, are we aware of our bodies when they're not hurting? For most of us, no. We just pay attention to the body when it hurts. But what would happen if we paid attention to the body before then? How would that be of benefit to us? Well, there's a whole host of ways that even that alone, awareness of the body in the moment is really, really important. Something like um, athletes, you know, talk about being in the zone or being in flow. And for most athletes, it seems pretty random. Um, it's great when it's there. It's a bummer when it's not, but they don't know how to train to experience that more often. And that's part of what we're doing here is training to experience that quality in the body and in the mind. And that's where one of the really interesting thing happens in meditation training is we're looking at the connection between the body and the mind. The head is not just this uh, thing that we carry around above our shoulders. The body's got a lot of wisdom as well. So kind of how are we using that information of the mind and the body to work together to support both performance and well-being? Can you dive into each of those? Let's start with performance because you're working with student athletes at Wisconsin. So how does med meditation and mindfulness help their performance? 
Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of ways that it helps. So one, how many times in sport do we say things like control the controllables? Uh, or do we say, you know, one play at a time, one rep at a time, one pitch at a time? How often do we train for that? Almost never. never. And I would argue that the reason we don't is because we just don't know how. And meditation is the how, right? So even right now, I'd like to think that what you and I are talking about, Sam, is so compelling that the listeners to this podcast have been locked in the entire time. That just has not happened, right? Listeners to this podcast, their mind has wandered to the, something in the future, something in the past, something else. That's just, that's normal. That's what minds do is mind wandering. Well, part of the training in meditation is kind of to start to notice mind wandering as it happens and then let go of that wandering mind and choose to bring your attention back to be where you want it to be. And think about the implications of that for performance, right? How would an athlete's performance be impacted if they're fully present for all the reps in the weight room, right? How many times has an athlete, a golfer, been on the eighth tee and still thinking about the bad shot on the seventh, right? A volleyball player thinking about that shanked pass when they're into the next play. So training attention to be where we want it to be. And in particular, one of the powerful ways we do it is with mindfulness grounded in the present moment is a complete game changer for athletes. We talk about, you know, this classic, what's important now, right? Uh, and the answer could be a behavior, but the first thing of what's important now is to get present, to be right here. You can't change anything in the future. You can't change anything in the past. Your only capacity to make a change is in this moment. But have we done the work ahead of time so that we're actually present? We're actually here. Our minds and bodies are in the same place. So what's the connection between the meditation practice and the application of it on the 10th tee for the golfer? Yeah, they, that's a great question. So when, when we talk about meditation training, I think about it in kind of three different ways of training. So one is what I call base training. So that's taking five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, whatever sort of makes sense uh, to train the mind for certain qualities, whether it's focus, concentration, resilience, uh, you know, connection with teammates, purpose, whatever that may be. And then there's integrated practices. Those are just really quick, short ways that athletes can do it, you know, in, in the midst of competition. And then the third way is this spontaneous presence where these qualities that we're training for just to start to show up naturally without us even making the effort. So as athletes, athletes are really good at the grind. They're really good at putting the time into the weight room. So this is putting the time into the mental weight room. So we can think about kind of doing squats to get stronger as a core skill. Well, what about squats for the skill of training and attention? Attention is the currency of performance. That's like a really lovely thing to say, right? That's like, but how do we train for it, right? That's the difference. And that's what we're doing with base training and then using those integrated practices so that they can start to apply it quickly in the midst of their competition. So your training, it's like the equivalent of a squat or reps in the weight room, the way you do a squat to train your Glutes, right? I don't do many squats. That's what it is, I think. Uh, so this is sort of the equivalent for your mind. Now, what does the training look like? Is it a guided meditation? Yeah, that's a great, a great question. So the training um, can look a lot of different ways. And there are lots of guided practices, guided meditations that will do uh, both that are recorded that athletes can kind of do on demand as makes sense for them and do as teams kind of do together in a, you know, training regimen together. The other thing that I kind of wanted to add, uh, you, you know, we're talking about kind of this metaphor of, of squats for the mind.
for six years, I was based at this group at the University of Wisconsin-Madison called the Center for Healthy Minds, which does research, scientific research into the impacts of training the mind. So there I collaborated with 14 PhD level scientists and I'm still affiliated with that group. And we know scientifically that the sort of practices that we're doing literally rewire the brain, literally change the neurochemistry of our brain for these qualities that we're interested in. Just like we know that doing certain physical exercises makes certain muscle groups stronger, doing certain mental exercises makes certain you know, parts of our brain actually stronger, more robust. When you say rewire the brain, you're talking neural connections. Yeah, you know, one of the ways we think about it is neurons that fire together, wire together. So if we're interested in uh, something like poise, right? Every athlete wants to be a little bit more poised. Well, how do we get there? How do we train for that, right? Well, we can train for that. We can train to kind of have a mind that's less distracted. We can train to have a mind that's more stable. We can train to have a mind that's more embodied. And we do that in less intense environments and slowly bring it into more intense environments so that as the conditions change around us, our internal state is no longer dependent on those conditions. We've trained the mind to discern what to let go of and kind of what to anchor to. The, one of the wise teachers in this space, George Mumford, who worked with Phil Jackson, he talks about being in the eye of the hurricane. The storm may be raging, but have we trained the mind to have the capacity to be in the eye of the hurricane? The eye is where it's calmest. The eye is where it's calmest. And it's an inherent human capacity. It's there all the time. It just gets covered up. So what we're doing is we're training to tap into that more often. And again, for athletes, they know what that feels like. Uh, it's just random when it's there. So we're making it less random and more consistent. So imagine what your performance, right? Anybody listening, what would your performance be like if you could spend more of your time in the eye of the hurricane? Whether you're an athlete, a coach, you know, business person, a parent, well, we're no longer kind of swirled around by the circumstances, but have a sense of stability, okayness, and balance, regardless of circumstances. And the question of what a performance could look like when you're totally present in the moment, not thinking about anything else, it's a remarkable question because you can really stretch the definition of what it means to be present. It's easy to have a conversation with someone and say, okay, I'm listening to them. But even if you're listening our minds can process many more words than we can say, which means inherently any conversation you have, your mind will at some point go somewhere. It's impossible to, impossible to be locked in. I once, I think it was a TED talk I once saw where this gentleman was talking about focus. And he asked the audience, how long can you count without thinking about anything else other than counting and the numbers? And it's really hard to get to 10. Now, this guy got to like 2,000, but getting to 10 is really hard. It's, a, it's an interesting exercise. Yeah, that's a really interesting exercise. So they, uh, there's a really interesting study that they did where they found that people are paying attention to what they're doing 47% of the time. <laughs> that's tremendous, right? So, and, oh. and, think, and, and that, this study has been replicated many, many times. This is a consistent finding. Um, so that has huge implications. Can for you us. say that again for the people listening who weren't fully paying attention? <laughs> people aren't paying attention to what they're doing 47% of the time. So basically half the time we're missing what's going on in our life. 
And we all know what that feels like, right? We all know what that feels like to be reading something and get to the end of the page and have absolutely no effing idea what we read, right? We all know what it feels like to be in a conversation with somebody uh, and completely lost track of what they're saying. Um, athletes, of course, like we were talking about before, like they know what it feels like to be on the eighth tee and still thinking about that shot on the seventh, right? Or they're in, you know, it's, you know, fourth quarter, you know, game winning drive is here, 80 yards to go. Is their mind ahead of them kind of thinking what could happen in two or three plays? Or is it just present for this play, able to see clearly and then go play? So that skill of training attention is, is huge. It's foundational. So we have to put in the time with the base training so that we can start to shift that number up and think about the performance implications of that. If your baseline is 47% and we knocked it up to 50, 60%, right? Uh, that's a, a big difference between uh, somebody who has taken the time to skillfully train their mind and somebody who has just engaged, you know, in what we call the mental training paradox. They talk about the importance of it, but don't actually engage in the doing of it. And it feels like for so long, it's just been all talk. Well, for even longer before that, there was no talk, right? This was totally taboo. Then it was like, oh, yeah, that guy's got the intangibles. His his mental game is strong. It, we use these general buzzwords. But now it's very specific, targeted, directed things. And that's why I think it's so so captivating to dive into something like attentiveness. So, so let's get out of talking about it uh, and practice what we're preaching here. Yes. And right now I'd invite you and everybody listening to feel your feet on the floor. Like right now, the immediacy of the sensations, the weight, the pressure, contact. Feel your body. Maybe your body's making contact with furniture. It feels heavy. Maybe it feels light. Bring some awareness to your shoulders, to your jaw. Not trying to make anything different here while still allowing things to change all on their own. Maybe feel your breath naturally moving in and out. For a few moments, give yourself permission that all you have to do Sit here or stand here, feel your body breathing. All right, so you can let go of any effort you're making with the practice. And I invite you, Sam, and all the listeners just to reflect for a moment on what did you notice? Just what happened for you doing that practice with some curiosity? There's no right, there's no wrong. What happened in your body? What happened in your mind? And then also think, when could you drop a practice like this into your life. It was about a minute or so. What would it look like if you did that before opening up your computer for the deluge of emails that are waiting for you? What if you did that in between meetings? For an athlete, what if they did that before they went into the weight room, before they went into competition? Of course, college students are student athletes. What if they did that before a test? Right? For those of us that are, you know, have families, what if we did that uh, before we uh, started to engage with our children? So just encourage everyone to kind of reflect on that question. And I ask you, Sam, so what was that like for you? What did you notice for yourself? The physical sensation I noticed most was when you mentioned my jaw. And, and you said, don't change anything. But I noticed that my jaw was clenched, mm -hmm. which tells me something. I'm not 
you know, I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm, I'm relaxed. I'm sitting in a nice comfy chair. I'm not nervous or hyped, but my jaw was clenched, which tells me that I've got some sort of inner intensity. So I, I actively unclenched it. And just that act of that with a deep breath made me feel more relaxed. And now I'm sitting and I feel even more relaxed than I did before. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's amazing. We, we carry around so much tension in our bodies that we're unaware of. Mm -hmm. and, and notice, I didn't tell you to relax. That was never the instruction. The instruction was just to become aware of or be mindful of that, you know, these parts of our body. And it just naturally kind of uncoils or, or unwinds, right? So when we think about the application of something like that, for most athletes, I mean, every athlete that I've met, when I ask them, would you perform better if you were 10% more relaxed? Without a doubt, they all say yes, right? There's just that slight kind of downshift, right? Into being fully present with what's happening out of overthinking back into their body. These are amazing athletes. They have trained for hours and hours and years and years, right? So to allow their kind of body and their mind to kind of get on the same page and then just do another thing that we say as coaches all the time, just go play, just trust, play with freedom. Well, how do we actually do that? So that's one application. Another is um, how many of us have had that situation where we're laying in bed at night uh, and our thoughts are just spinning? Not because we want to, right? Not because we want to relive that conversation with our supervisor that said something that confused us, right? Or, you know, that memory, that, you know, random memory from years ago. So this is a skill to be able to notice when our mind wanders off, which it probably did for most people in that practice, to choose to come back to an anchor that's happening in the present moment. And sensations in your body are always happening in the present moment. So for an integrated practice, like right now, we'll go back to what we did at the beginning. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel the sensations. Feel the pressure. All right. Now let's re-engage. Coach Tom Coughlin has a line, be where your feet are. That just means have your mind and body in the same place. This is the how you actually do that. So we have Wisconsin athletes that are doing that at the free throw line, that are doing that pre-kickoff, that are doing that pre-snap. The play's in. Uh, their assignment is there. They've done their pre-snap read. Now they just need to be present and go let it rip. The foot practice is is phenomenal i mean it, it's because it, it ties into the tom coughlin thing and sometimes i've wiggled my toes before to be present because you feel your body you feel in control and it's almost a reminder that you're also in control right we say control the controllables well i can control how i wiggle my toes i can also control how present i am as i go throughout my day and that kind of tapping into the immediacy of the sensations of the body in this example, like feet on the ground, or the immediacy of the breath coming in and out is training for the skill to tap into the immediacy of our lives. Right? We don't meditate to become great meditators. We meditate to have great lives. Right? So to be fully present with the sensations of my breathing, that's great, right? But that's just the skill. I want to be fully present for my five-year-old son the most important person in my life, right? I, when I'm with a team, when I'm with an athlete, I want to be fully present with that person. For athletes, they want to be fully present for every rep, for every opportunity that they have to compete, and also for every opportunity they have to be with friends and family. So how do we show up with the immediacy of our life in a stable, open way?
that's what we're training for, right? And when we train for that, then there's cascading benefits to all parts of our lives. This is a technical question, but it can help me and, and certainly anyone listening. What's the best way to breathe? Uh, there is no best way to breathe. In, from, in my humble opinion, there's no best way to breathe. Um, the, what I would get interested in is to ask somebody kind of to, to what end? Like, what are you trying to do with your breath? Are you trying to breathe to feel concentrated? Are you trying to use your breath to feel more open? Are you trying to breathe uh, for different reasons? And then what's the way of breathing that's going to support you to get there? Um, I, I, yeah, so I, I think there's a, a wide range of ways of breathing. Um, there is no best way. What's the value of visualization? Does that tie into what you're doing? Yeah, it absolutely ties in. So, um, you know, we think about, like we talked about earlier, neurons that fire together, wire together, um, or what the mind ponders frequently becomes habit of mind. So the internal stories that we tell ourselves about who we are and how we operate in the world start to become the reality by which we see the world. So visualization is just a way to kind of train the mind to see ourselves and see the world in a certain way. Usually in visualization, we're training our minds to see ourselves and our team performing at our best. So that that becomes the baseline to which we fall back to. So we talk a lot, you know, in physical training that in intense moments, we'll fall back to our baseline. We'll fall back to what we have trained for. The same is true with the mind. We will fall back to our mental baseline, whatever that may be. So visualization is one of the important ways that we can train for that baseline to be a way of seeing ourselves performing at our best. I think there's a unique addition to what mindfulness does with visualization in that it is an embodied visualization. It's not just a visualization that's happening in the cognitive mind. It's a visualization that's felt throughout the entire body, the physical body and the emotional body. I like to think about it this way. If we wanna be at our best, uh, there's four areas we need to get really curious about. Behaviors, emotions, senses, and thoughts. Which of course, that acronym comes together as BEST. Right? So first, we need to be aware of, be mindful of what's happening in any one of those categories. And then the second is we need to have skills to work with whatever's happening in our experience and train the mind for qualities that we're interested in. If we're ignoring any of those areas, then we're limiting our capacity to one, be healthy, happy people, but also perform at the highest level. Can you read the acronym again? BEST. Behaviors, emotions, senses, and thoughts. And it, it's a beautiful concert, right, when they're all working together. Right. And, and so how do we work with our minds and our bodies when they are working together and when they're not working together? I think for a lot of folks, it can seem like a black box. Um, so this is kind of getting in there and demystifying it and starting to show that you can, as an individual, start to be aware of your own body, your own mind, your own emotions, one, so that they're not kind of running the show. You're no longer out of control. Again, we talk about control the controllables. Well, what about how much time are we spending kind of being curious and training to control our emotional reactions to things, right? Like if we're not paying attention to that, then we're missing a huge opportunity to train our minds and our bodies to perform at higher levels or thoughts. You know, we think all the time about, you know, this, the, that gray, um, 
Lao Tzu quote that you may have, have come across that is, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become habit. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character becomes your destiny. So let's go back to the very beginning of that. The first thing was watch your thoughts. So I would invite all of us to think about how do we do that? Do we have a way to watch our thoughts as they're happening? Do we have a way to unhook from the ones that are unhelpful and kind of concentrate on the ones that are helpful? Do we have a way of seeing thoughts as they're unfolding in the present moment? For most of us, we don't. Or sometimes we have it and it's nice when it's there. So mindfulness is that skill to be able to observe, oh, this thought is happening right now. That thought may be, I'm in front of the, the, the squat rack. I'm about to push some seriously heavy weight. The thought comes up that says, I don't know if I can do this. Right? Thought comes up and says, this is going to be hard. And an athlete can recognize, oh, that's just a thought. I can let that thought kind of cruise on by, right? And then where they left, they're left with their feet on the ground, their hand on the bar, fully present, able to go let it rip. So that's a, a foundational skill is that awareness of these four qualities as they're happening in the present moment. And it's those thoughts that make up or push us to the other 53% of the statistic you mentioned earlier, right? 47% of the time we're fully present, locked into what we're doing. Well, it's latching onto those thoughts and letting them take us for a ride and making us do three things at once and think about seven that make up the other 53. Absolutely. Uh, so a lot of what we're doing kind of at the beginning, especially in meditation training, and, and it continues, these, these practices kind of spiral up over years, over a lifetime, but is the skill of letting go. We're not going to stop thoughts from happening. That's probably the biggest misconception of mindfulness and meditation. People will say, oh, I'm bad at it. I tried it once and I couldn't get my mind to stop thinking. Um, every time I hear that, um, I just want to like kind of scream from the mountaintops. You're not bad at it. It's impossible to be bad at mindfulness and meditation. The mind wanders. That's what it does. Just like the lungs breathe, the mind produces thoughts. What we're doing is learning to give a little space to that. We call that space mindfulness. We call it awareness. And once we've developed and we can develop a skill to have that space, once we have that, then we can discern, okay, this is a thought that's lined up with my performance and well-being goals. This is a thought that's not. And then we, there we're controlling the controllables. And it's not controlling the controllables of the external world. That is, of course, important. It's controlling the controllables of our internal world. On the note of demystifying that, because I hear that all the time too, and I used to say that, oh, I can't meditate. My mind is way too active. Well, that's not the, that's like saying I, I can't work out. My heart beats, right? So, you know, you use the lungs example. What's been the buy-in level from Wisconsin athletes? It's been really high. Um, and I think there's a variety of reasons why that's the case. One, uh, an athlete that got to the University of Wisconsin is great, right? They're elite. They are really good at training and they're interested in kind of the fractional advantages that can support them to get even better. And once they understand, and that this happens right away, that what we're doing is we're training the mind in a rigorous way, in the same way that with your strength coach, you're training your body in a rigorous way, and they understand that this work is grounded in neuroscience, then they say, all right, let's go check it out. And then the loop happens where then they start to experience benefits. 
And then they say, I want to do more. They start to tell other athletes on their team, on other teams, coaches start to talk to each other and it kind of spreads that way. I'm not interested in a top-down approach. I'm interested much more in a kind of grassroots approach that people experience the practice themselves, benefit from the practice, and then share with those that are, are kind of interested and ready to train in this way. If I want to be an NFL player and I'm a football player at Wisconsin and someone tells me, here's something that can give you even a tiny advantage. And if done well, even way more than a tiny advantage to make it to the next level and potentially make millions of dollars and fulfill your dream. Well, yeah, I'm in. But I think your point too is it's not just for the NFL player. It's for me. It's for anyone listening to this podcast. This mindfulness can help us in, in our lives. Without a doubt. Um, I think, you know, when, when I talk about it with, with student athletes, with coaches or with anybody, the way I think about it is we're training the mind for performance and well-being. So performance for all of us is just kind of how we live in the world, right? That may be I'm, you know, on the Wisconsin volleyball team. We're ranked preseason number one in the nation. We're looking for a national championship. That may be, you know, I work for an NGO that's trying to fundraise to meet these goals, right? That may be I'm a citizen in my community that's coming to terms with 400 years of institutional racism. How do I show up in a way that's balanced, authentic, uh, stable to any of those situations? As a parent, how do we show up? All of these things are for our performance and then our well-being. Right? If we think about like that skill we talked about for of, of attention, um, well, are we present when we're with the people in our lives, even now in a pandemic, that we're talking to over Zoom? When it's time to not be working, are we able to just relax and enjoy what's happening in our lives? A lot of people aren't able to do that. And it's because their mind won't let go of what has happened at work. So training in that skill of letting go can allow us to both be better at work, be kick-ass performers, as well as be just great people who are just happy and enjoying what's happening in their, in their lives. So I think this practice can be of benefit, and this is my careers included, you know, working with kindergartners to working with, you know, Heisman winners. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, uh, these practices can be a benefit. I'm not very close to kindergarten, but I would say I'm closer to kindergarten than winning a Heisman. <laughs> that, that, you know, that's certain. <laughs> that is certain. Because to go kindergarten, I just have to go back in time. Heisman, whoo. <laughs> and that's the thing is like when we, um, you know, we like to think there's, you know, we put these people on pedestals, right. Uh -huh. That are like have achieved kind of these physical uh, accomplishments and, and it's amazing what they've done. And, and, uh, and at the same time, they're human beings, just like the rest of us, they've got a mind, they've got a body, they're experiencing emotions. Uh, do they have the skills to work with their minds and bodies and emotions to support them to do things that get them, you know, on ESPN. Uh, but it's the same capacity to work with our minds, bodies, and emotions that just get us to be, you know, happier in our relationships, you know, able to do our jobs, kind of go after our dreams, whatever those may be, uh, in more skillful ways. I'm jealous of the Wisconsin athletes that they have access to you and work with you. For those of us who don't have access to you and work with you, what are some tips you have in terms of how we can incorporate mindfulness practice into our lives? I know there's a lot of apps out there, right? Headspace, Calm, Insight Timer. There's also self-guided stuff. So what do you recommend? 
Yeah, there's a lot of really great ways to get started. So the ones you just mentioned, Inside Timer, Calm, Headspace, those are all good apps. Another one is the Healthy Minds program uh, that comes from uh, a group at the Center for Healthy Minds that I mentioned earlier, this neuroscience group. So that one's uh, rooted in in the neuroscience of what do we know about training the mind. Um, if one Googles mindfulness and meditation, there's a lot that you'll get, some of which I think is good, some of which I don't think is very good. Not to say that I'm the one who gets to decide, but you asked, so I'll share. Um, uh, so I think it's important that any kind of mindfulness or meditation um, is is somehow connected to, to science. Um, there's no um, kind of central organizing body that licenses mindfulness teachers or meditation teachers. And so I think being connected to science is one that's important. Another is uh, whoever's teaching you, look at their life. How's it going? Do they seem to be doing well? They seem to be happy. Do they seem to be balanced? They seem to be able to show up and, and do things in a, in a good way. Whatever that may be, then kind of start to ask some questions. Well, how are you doing that? Right? What's that look like in your life? Um, another that you know I would encourage folks to look out for if they're interested in taking a class is look up mindfulness-based stress reduction. That is taught all throughout the United States, usually connected to medical centers, but is a really great uh, way to kind of begin to experience some mindfulness and meditation. Uh, for your own life. That was mindfulness-based stress reduction. That's the name of it. Yep. yep. Thanks for sharing those resources. I personally have been using Insight Timer the last month or so. It's really good. I love Insight Timer. I've been using it um, yeah, for many, many years. Um, and there's lots of high-quality resources out there. One, another that I would recommend for folks is, while meditation can seem like a pretty solitary activity, it's you kind of with your own mind, with your own body, with your own emotions as it's unfolding. It's really important to have community around these practices, to support each other, to talk about the practices, to learn from others who are just maybe a little further ahead on the path, you know, whether it's somebody like me who's kind of in an identified teacher role. But that's something that I think uh, is, is foundational. And there's something about, I think, what we're doing here, Sam, that's um, it's a certain kind of humanity 101. Like mindfulness and meditation is about showing up for the life that you have right now. It's not saying that your life has to be dramatically different. It's saying we have ways of turning to our life uh, and making it kind of be in a way, relate to it in a way that works for us. So let me just, you know, to give some, some teeth to that. I came to these practices out of suffering. Um, I had a loss in my life, uh, loss a family member, died. And I obviously couldn't control that, right? But what I was having a lot of challenge, kind of mental, emotional difficulty. So I could try to kind of go out and make the world a different place, but in this situation, I couldn't. So I was forced to look at what was going on in my own mind, what was going on in my own emotions. And as I did that, I started to create this space, develop skills to relate to my life in a way that produced less suffering and produced more well-being. And we all have that ability. We all have that ability to we want to control the world to make it a certain way so that we'll, I'll be happy when sort of mentality. Well, what about we find ways to be okay with things as they are right now? And we lived from there, right? I think we could, we could all still be amazing athletes, still be amazing coaches, amazing performers, uh, and be a little more stable and balanced along the way. You bring up, I'll be happy when. There's myriad studies out there about 
lottery winners and people who get huge promotions and athletes who win big games and they get that little happiness bump. You know, if I walk outside today and win the lottery, I'm going to be in a great mood for the rest of the week. But eventually there's a plateau. And what I'm hearing from you is the world out there is crazy. You're going to have amazing things in your life. You're going to have horrible tragedies in your life. But if you can find a way to harness yourself and be centered in yourself and content living your life and experiencing it and being mindful of it, that's living. I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And there's a certain kind of, uh, uh, balance, a certain sign of, of okayness that, that comes with that, you know, like, are we, um, living our lives in a way that we're racing so fast that we miss our life? Um, that's really not what I'm interested in, right? I mean, what I'm interested in is, is showing up for our lives in a full way. And that could be, you know, like for me, sideline of the Rose Bowl, right? Where it's like, it is quick over there, right? Like things are rocking and rolling, right? This can be, you know, in the final four with the volleyball team, right? Competing for a national championship. Um, these are kind of career milestones that I'll look back on and be like, wow, it was amazing that I got to be a part of these things. But in those moments, I want to be fully present for what's happening there. You know, there's the line, you know, of, uh, you know, be quick, but don't hurry. Like, let's do that, right? Kind of like link our mind and bodies up so that we can still be quick. We can still perform at really high levels, but we haven't lost control of kind of that inherent stability that's available to all of us. Right. And it doesn't have to be a grand moment. Then we're training our minds to be okay with things that aren't the sideline at the Rose Bowl, to be okay with the fact that, you know, right now I'm sitting in a very plush, comfortable green chair in a nice apartment, talking to someone who I'm interested in and, and is, really, you know, enriching my mind and, and giving me cool stuff. I've got my cat behind me. He's cute. Uh, there's a nice view, like taking in these moments, uh, you know, I'm not at the sideline of the Rose Bowl, but I'm content right now. And so the, the skill you're talking about there, Sam, is the skill of appreciation. And there's really good science on appreciation. And I'm not talking about kind of toxic appreciation that somehow claims that like everything is roses all of the time. But at any given moment, there are good things that are happening in the world, right? But we as humans have what scientists call a negativity bias. We tend to be scanning for the negative things that are happening in the world. That was really useful, you know, when we were in the forest and we needed to know if that rustling in the bushes was a bear. That was really useful when we needed to know what berries our grandparents ate that killed them. And it kept us alive. But now if that goes unchecked, then we, the human mind still is scanning for negative things. So by training the mind to, to appreciate, to notice the good things that are already there, it doesn't make us somehow this like pushover that's just noticing just the good stuff. I think it allows us to actually see the world more clearly because in any given moment, the whole thing isn't terrible and the whole thing isn't roses. It's all part of this spectrum. So we can train for that quality of appreciation, kind of notice the good things, notice you know, kind of like the blue sky that is outside, right? Like notice, wow, I'm an athlete and I have the opportunity to compete at the highest level. I've trained for this for years. I have the opportunity to grind today in the weight room and appreciate that. It's just these subtle shifts, right? That allow us to show up to our life in a very different way. I'm curious, have you read Positive Intelligence? Shirzad Chamine? Okay, uh, I'm... I mentioned that because I'm reading it right now and 
in a bit that I read last night, he mentioned a similar example of the rustling of the trees in the forest, how our ancestors had to go, oh, crap, there's a tiger killing me. I got to run right away. Well, 99 times out of 100, it's not a tiger. But if you assume it's not a tiger, then you're going to die and natural selection gets rid of those traits. <laughs> so, um, it, it, but we don't need that anymore. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, there's a time, there's a time to be vigilant, right? You know, uh -huh. like, uh, and, and so we need to, you know, use those system when it's useful for us, but a lot of times it can just be happening and we're not even aware of it, right? We're not even aware. If we think about that kind of behaviors, emotions, sensations, and thoughts, we're not even aware of that emotion of vigilance. We're not even aware of kind of the thoughts that are scanning for all the bad things that are happening. So then we can say, now is not a time that I have to worry about this, right? Now's the time for me just to relax, kind of enjoy what's happening here kind of do what's in front of me. It reminds me of, there's this uh, kind of quote on the side of the Wisconsin football locker, or not locker room, weight room, that says the road to the championship begins here. And at one level, that means the road to the championship begins here in the weight room, right? It's the grind, it's the effort, it's the hours, the months of, of, of kind of energy that one is putting forth. But what I talked to the team about, and what I was really struck by was here. The road to the championship begins here, like right here in this moment with your feet on the floor right here, your breath moving in and out right here, whatever your championship is, anybody who's listening, wherever you want to go, your capacity to go in that direction begins in this moment. And then guess what? It begins again in this moment. So the last one may have been a total cluster and that's all right. We're developing the skill to begin again without rumination or regret, right? Line ourselves up with what it is that matters to us in our life whether it's winning championships, being great parents, uh, you know, working towards, you know, social justice and being able to show up to that in a fresh, rejuvenated, stable way so that we have what I heard recently described as the talent to back up the talent. You're good at what you do, but do you have the skills to be able to do it in an ongoing generative way over months and years? So in that sense, what we're talking about today in mindfulness and meditation is the opposite of burnout. It's a kind of a proactive way to kind of train the mind, train the body, work with thoughts, work with emotions, so that burnout uh, isn't the inevitable path we're working toward, but sustained creativity and competitiveness is, is more the baseline to which we're operating from. Is there something you want to leave the audience with? Yeah. So as you said, I just notice, like I immediately like had, went to my head to see, like, think, what could I come up with? and then kind of let out a long exhale, like literally feeling my body in my chair, you know, my feet on the ground. And I guess what's here is kind of like just this, the preciousness of the opportunity that we have, right? We're alive, right? We've got the, the life that we have. It's not all great. It's not all terrible, but man, we're lucky to be here. We're lucky to have the life we have the opportunity to live in the world. Uh, so feeling the gratitude for that and notice what it feels like. I can feel it in my body and I invite everyone to just notice what it feels like in your body. When you tap into like, I'm grateful that I'm here, that I've got this opportunity to live the life that I have, even the struggles. I'll bear my cross. I'll live my struggles. And now what, what's in front of me that matters to me that I care about, right? That resonates in the words of Joseph Campbell, uh, we're not looking for the meaning of life. We're looking to have 
the experience that our life on the physical plane resonates with our innermost being. So what fires you up? What gets you going? What like makes you feel awake and curious and motivated? Do that, follow that. That's the resonance, right? And if we all did that, I think we'd all be a little bit better off and a little more connected. And that's a world that excites me. And I think we're living into more and more every day. When you ask the question of what does it feel like now to be grateful and present, I noticed my jaw not clenched. My breath was slow. My feet were planted on the ground. I wasn't stretching in any weird way. I just felt relaxed. It's really remarkable how the body mirrors the mind a lot. Yeah, those those kind of those pathways between the mind and the body are deeply interlinked, and and we can then become kind of the scientists of our own life experiment of just get curious about what's going on in our own minds and bodies. I do X, Y happens in my mind and body, um, and in that way we become our own teachers, and in that same way our life becomes the curriculum. Um, and we can just pay attention with this way of curiosity and non-judgment and uh, meeting our life as it is and start to learn what it means to show up in a way that uh, is, is, is one that makes sense for who we are and how we want to live in the world. Chad, thank you for coming on and for teaching me, for teaching anyone who listened. I mean, you already know this, but the athletes at Wisconsin, they're very lucky to have you. So thanks for giving me a one-hour tidbit of, of all the great stuff you're doing. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for all your, your efforts to um, kind of spread the benefits of this sort of uh, the mental side of life to, to more and more people. I really appreciate what you're doing and uh, really had a great time talking with you. So thank you very much. So to piggyback off Chad, I implore you to try meditating and try going in without attempting to clear your mind. Because that's impossible. You can't clear your mind. Clearing your mind would render you brain dead. So don't try to clear it. Just go in and try to be present. Five minutes by yourself. Everything Chad said. Think about your breathing, your feet, your jaw, your surroundings. Just be. In the world of looking at screens and watching things and listening to things and talking on the phone and talking on Zoom and all the madness around us. Sometimes just be. So do yourself a favor and just be and enjoy the rest of your week. I'll talk to you soon. I'm Sam Brief. Be well. Adios. Mm